0: Have you ever been tempted? Now, don't lie. Have you been tempted this month? This week? <laughs> this morning? Temptation is something we all face, isn't it? Everywhere we turn, all around us, we are bombarded with temptations. Now, understand, I'm not talking about the temptation to... ...to eat a second piece of cake. I'm not talking about the temptation to hit the snooze button one more time. I'm talking about the temptation to go against God's plan... ...God's purpose for your life. The temptation to go against God's will. The temptation to sin against Almighty God. Now we're in a series that we've entitled The Son of God. We're exploring who is Jesus... Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Is he the Son of God? Because that's what he claimed. He claimed to be the Son of God. And either he is or he isn't. And each and every one of us needs to honestly examine the evidence and determine for ourselves whether we believe what Jesus said about himself. Because understand... If Jesus is indeed the Son of God, then everything in this life and everything after this life is dependent upon Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we talked about the, the first thing that makes Jesus unique and, and that, that first thing that sets him apart as the Son of God. And, and we discovered that that was Jesus' beginning because Jesus' birth was not His beginning. You see, when Jesus was born in that stable in Bethlehem a a little over 2,000 years ago, that was not where Jesus had His beginning. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He always was, He always is, and He always will be. If you go back to the beginning of time, you will find Jesus. If you go back to the Big Bang, it was Jesus that went boom. He is the one who began it all, and if you step off of the beginning of time into the precipice of eternity, you will find Jesus. And and that sets Jesus apart. Jesus has no beginning like every other man who has walked the face of the earth. But this morning, I want us to look at the second thing that really sets Jesus apart, and, and that is his temptation. Now, you say, wait a second, Rocky, each and every one of us face temptation. And you're right, we all do. But the thing that set Jesus apart is Jesus faced temptation and came out of it sinless. Understand, if Jesus is the son of God, he was the sinless son of God. If Jesus isn't the sinless son of God, then he cannot be the saving son of God. Let me say that again. If Jesus is not the sinless son of God, He cannot be the saving Son of God. So do you believe that Jesus is the sinless Son of God? Barnard Research did a survey, and in that survey they discovered that 44% of American adults believe that Jesus sinned. 44%. Only 41% of American adults believe that Jesus was sinless. But hear me. If Jesus were not sinless... He cannot be the saving Son of God. Now, we're going to be looking at that this morning from Luke chapter 4. But before we dig into Luke 4, I want us to look back at Luke 3 for just a moment. Because you need to understand that, that if we're going to really understand a passage, we must understand the context of which that passage is a part. We must understand the sequence of events that occurred in that Passage, And in the last part of Luke chapter 3, we discover Jesus' baptism. I want you to listen to what it says in verses 21 and, and 22. It says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, it says Jesus was baptized too. Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Now, understand, John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance from sin. But we're saying that Jesus never sinned. And so why was he baptized? He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He was baptized to identify with sinful man. Now when Jesus finished his earthly ministry before he ascended into heaven, he told his followers this. He said, go and make disciples and baptize them. And so Jesus was baptized to identify with sinful man. You and I are baptized to identify with a sinless Jesus. And so my question for you this morning is this. If you're a Christ follower, have you been baptized? And if you haven't, why not? Because if you haven't, you are living in disobedience to the very first thing that Jesus wants you to do once you become his follower. And so if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to do that as soon as possible. Now let's continue reading and see what it says. It says, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am pleased. Now don't miss that. The heavenly father looked down at his son and said, I love you and I'm pleased with you. Now understand, there isn't a son on God's green earth who doesn't want to hear those words from his father. I love you and I'm proud of you. And that's what the heavenly father was saying to his son, Jesus Christ. In the presence of everyone, he was saying, this is my son, I love him, and I'm proud of him. Now, the Bible tells us that after this baptism, Jesus went into the wilderness, he went into the desert, and he was tempted. Now, understand, Mark's gospel tells us that he was immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus' temptation occurred right after his baptism. Jesus' greatest temptation occurred right after a time of great jubilation. Now, have you noticed that it's oftentimes after times of great spiritual joy that we are hit with some of our greatest spiritual testing, some of our, our greatest spiritual temptations? Leonard Ravenhill said it this way. He said, when God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, the devil opens up the doors of Hell to blast us. When God opens up the windows of heaven to bless us, the devil opens up the doors of hell to blast us. Someone said this. In chapter 3, we see the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And in chapter 4, we see the devil ascending to tempt Jesus. Now, there are some of you here this morning who are relatively new believers. You've trusted Jesus to save you and you've begun to follow him. And and there are some of you that felt like once you began this journey with Jesus, it would be a whole lot easier. You wouldn't have to worry about temptation as, as much as you worried about temptation before you became a Christ follower. But understand, that's just not true. As a matter of fact, that is exactly when the battle begins. Jerome, who was a 4th century Christ follower, said baptism doesn't drown the devil. And there are some of us who who think it does. They think when we give our life to Jesus, when we follow him in baptism, it's going to drown the devil and we'll never have to worry about him anymore. But that's just not true. And so let's look at this passage in Luke chapter 4. First, we see the temptation of the Son of God. Let's read this passage, verse 1 through verse 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. For it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If. You are the son of God, he said. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written. This is the devil speaking now. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, some people have the idea that if we're in the center of God's will, if we're where God wants us to be, or we stay away from certain people or certain places, then we won't be tempted. And yet here was Jesus full of the Holy Spirit led by the Holy Spirit. He was in the center of the father's will and he found himself in the spiritual fight for his life. Don't ever think that if you're where you're supposed to be, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, that you won't be tempted because that's just not true. There are some people today that, that try to escape the problem of temptation by, by just associating with Christians, but, but understand that temptation is still there. There are some who have tried to withdraw from the world entirely, but the temptation is still there. Jesus was out in the wilderness, away from everything, and yet the temptation was still there. Understand, temptation can occur in the wilderness. Temptation can occur in the worship center. It can occur when you're all alone. It can occur when you're surrounded by people. Temptation can come at any time. Temptation can come at any place. And don't think if you're who you're supposed to be, you won't be tempted. Because here's Jesus... He's the Son of God, and yet he's tempted. And so if Jesus, who is the Son of God, is tempted, then you better believe that you are going to be tempted. Because you may think, if if I just get close enough to the Lord, I will be immune. But you need to understand that Satan aims his biggest guns at those who are desperately seeking to serve the Lord. And so here is Jesus He's out in the wilderness. He's out in the desert. And for 40 days, he hasn't eaten a thing. Now, now to understand, this wasn't a cleansing fast that we hear about today where people are trying to detox their bodies. You know, we hear a lot about that. We read a lot about that. And, and you can even go on Living So or Groupon, and you can pay money to, to not eat. It's crazy. Understand, this was not a detoxing fast. This was a spiritual fast. Jesus was seeking to, to get alone with his heavenly Father. And for 40 days, he didn't eat a thing. Now, if, if you've ever gone on a fast, you know that it doesn't take long to get hungry, does it? I mean, 40 days and you're hungry. I, I, I go one meal and I'm hungry. Amen? But here he was, 40 days, and he hadn't eaten a thing. Now, you need to understand that if you fast that long, your body begins to do something. It begins to literally eat itself. That's what it's doing. Your body is eating itself. And, and at a 40-day fast, you're at a point literally of no return. You're either going to feed your body soon or you're going to die. And so when the Bible says that Jesus was hungry, that is an understatement. Jesus was starving to the point that if he didn't eat soon, he was going to die. Now, it is at this point that the scriptures tell us that he was tempted by the devil. Now, some people today tell us that the devil isn't real, that there isn't a real Personal devil, that evil is just some impersonal force that, that is something uh, out there that is trying to destroy us. But understand, evil originates in a person and that person is Satan or the devil himself. So Satan is a devil. He's real and his desire is to kill and steal and destroy. And so you never take our enemy for granted. And so here he is, Jesus. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's out in the wilderness, and Satan is tempting him. Now, let me say one other thing before we go any further, and that is this temptation is not sin. There are some of us that, that have this idea that, that if we face a temptation, if a thought to do evil comes in our mind, then, then we're evil. But understand, temptation in and of itself is not sin. Temptation is like bait on a hook. How many of you are fishermen or fisherwomen? You you know, when you're fishing, you put bait on a hook, don't you? And the purpose of the bait is to get the fish to grab the hook. I, I mean, a fisherman doesn't want the fish just to have good food. The fisherman wants the fish to be attracted to the bait so that he will get snagged by the hook. And see, temptation is simply a hook that Satan uses to snatch us, to defeat us, to grab us. Now understand, whenever Satan throws the bait out to us, he tempts us, he's going to use something that is appealing to us. He's going to use something that is attractive to us. Satan isn't going to try to tempt us with things that are appalling, things that are wretched. I mean, he's not going to do that. He's going to tempt us with good things. He's going to tempt us with pretty things. He's going to tempt us with pleasant things. He's smart. And he baits the hook with those things that are going to attract us then I want you to notice three things about Jesus' temptation. First of all, notice that it was an intense temptation. Look at verse 2, if your Bibles are still open. It says there that for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. For 40 days, Satan tempted Jesus. There are some people that believe that that Jesus fasted for 40 days and, and then the devil came right at the end of it and hit him with this fast. But that's not what Luke's gospel tells us. Luke's gospel tells us for 40 days straight, Satan bombarded Jesus with temptation after temptation after temptation. And the three temptations that we read about are the climax of that battle that Jesus is in. So don't ever think that temptation is going to be easy to overcome. It isn't, and it never will be. You may get to a point in your life where certain things are no longer tempting, but that's just simply because your appetite has changed. And when your appetite changes... What our enemy is going to do is he's going to take something that now your appetite is drawn to and he's going to use that to tempt you and cause you to fall. You see, the devil is constantly researching you. He is studying you so that he can know all the hot buttons that he can push in your life. Now that leads us to the second thing. Jesus' temptation was tailor-made. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, it was especially prepared for him and yet the bible tells us that his temptations are like our temptations now some say that every temptation to sin hits us in one of three areas the lust of the flesh our our physical desires the lust of the eyes the desire for power and possessions or the pride of life our desire to be and those are the three areas that Jesus is tempted here at the end. Now, the first temptation that Jesus faced was to turn stone into bread. Now, to understand, Jesus needed to eat. As a matter of fact, Jesus had to eat. And that's when the enemy hit him. The enemy hit Jesus when he was most vulnerable, when he was most susceptible to the suggestions he gave. And you need to understand this morning that Satan hits you at the same time. When you're lonely. When you're discouraged. When you feel like nobody cares about you. When you think that you're invincible. That's when Satan strikes. That's when he hits. Now understand that Jesus' hunger and his desire to to meet that hunger, was a legitimate need. You see, there was nothing wrong with Jesus eating, was there? I mean, is there something sinful about eating bread? Absolutely not. There were countless occasions in God's Word where we read of Jesus eating bread. As a matter of fact, Jesus on two occasions uh, took bread and multiplied it so that he could feed multitudes of people. And so understand, eating bread in and of itself was not wrong. What Jesus was tempted to do was put bread before God. He was tempted to put the physical needs before the spiritual needs. The lust of the flesh satisfying our physical desires. Now listen, God created us with certain desires. God created us with certain needs. And and there's nothing wrong with those desires. There's nothing wrong with those needs. As a matter of fact, those desires, those needs that God created us with are good. But listen very closely. Whenever we take a good thing and make it the main thing, it becomes the one thing that can destroy us. Whenever we take a good thing and make it the main thing, it becomes the one thing that can destroy us. It wasn't a matter of eating bread that was sinful. It was a matter of, am I going to put my needs above my obedience to my heavenly Father? Am I going to meet my needs and I'm going to fulfill my desires? Am I going to do what I want rather than focusing my attention on what God wants and God's on perfect will for my life. So that's the first temptation. It's not to eat bread, but it's to put the physical before the spiritual, to make our physical needs most important, to make them God. Now, the second temptation revolves around power and control. Somehow in one moment, Satan took Jesus to a point where he was able to show him all the kingdoms of the world. And and Satan said, if you will only worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. Now, you know if you've read the Bible that Jesus was already promised all the kingdoms of the world. This was something that was part of the Father's plan. The question was, how was he going to get it? What was he willing to do? To get the kingdoms of the world. You see Satan's plan involved a crown immediately. God's plan involved a cross. And then ultimately a crown. And so what Satan was doing is saying hey. If you will bow down and worship me. You can have what you want. The kingdoms of the world. But you can do it without suffering. You can do it without pain. You can do it without hardship. You can do it without a cross. You don't need to die if you only worship me. I will give you everything you want. Wow. Now again, there was nothing wrong with what Satan initially said. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus was going to have them anyway. The question is, what was Jesus willing to do to get them? Was he willing to circumvent God's perfect plan so that he could accomplish his plan in an easier way? Now understand, every temptation we face, every temptation is a desire on our part to do our will our way rather than God's will God's way. Now the third temptation... The third temptation had to do with, with, um, with who Jesus was. Who was he? Satan took Jesus up to the highest point in the temple. And he said, the scripture says that if you will cast yourself off, the angels will catch you and they will float you gently to the ground. So that you will be there on the ground level. Everybody will be looking. Everybody will see you. You won't even scratch your foot. And everybody will be amazed. And that's a paraphrase. But that's what Satan was saying. Satan was saying, won't that be a grand entrance? I mean, everybody will be looking. Everybody will be watching. And they will know that you are the son of God. Because who else? Who else can jump off the precipice of the temple And have angels guide him to the ground. Again. There was nothing wrong with with what Satan said. Having everyone recognize who you are. The question was how was Jesus going to accomplish it? How was he going to do it? You see every temptation Jesus faced had one thing in common. It was accomplishing My will rather than God's will. Someone said that every one of these temptations had to do with comfort. And in reality, that's true. Turn the stone into bread and eat. Have all the kingdoms of the world simply by worshiping me and you won't have to have a cross to get your crown. Jump off of the precipice of this temple. Let everybody see your grand interest and they will bow down and worship you. The problem with each of those things were, it wasn't God's perfect will. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this, are we more concerned about our comfort, our desires, our will, or are we more concerned about God's desire, God's will, God's plan? And so this temptation was tailor-made just for Jesus. But notice a third thing here about this temptation. When it was over, it wasn't over. The Bible says that Satan parted until an opportune time. In other words, this battle was over, but the war wasn't over yet. You see, this wasn't the end of the temptation. But yet at the end of it all, Jesus came through without sin. And that leads us to the second point. We see the temptation of the Son of God. But second, I want us to see the victory Of the Son of God. You see, it's important for us to realize that Jesus not only didn't sin in the wilderness, Jesus never sinned. We can read this and we can say, well, Jesus won that victory, but who in here has not won a victory before? We've all won victories here and there over temptation, and yet Jesus never lost a battle. He was never tempted to the point that he gave in to the temptation. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Jesus faced every temptation that you and I will face. Not the specifics. Jesus wasn't tempted to to speed on the interstate. He didn't have a car. Jesus wasn't tempted to to, um, drink and drive. He, He didn't have a car. Jesus wasn't tempted to watch movies he shouldn't watch. They didn't have TV. But Jesus was tempted in every way, just like us, and yet Jesus never sinned. In Hebrews 7, verse 26, write this verse down. Hebrews 7, verse 26, it's there on your note sheet. Jesus then is the high priest that meets our needs. He is holy. He has no fault or sin in him. He has been set apart from sinners and raised above the heavens. Now, when it says he has been set apart from sinners, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have anything to do with sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. No, what this is saying is Jesus is head and shoulders above everyone else. Every one of us have sinned. And yet Jesus never sinned. Never once. The best people to... To let us know whether Jesus was sinless or are the people who were closest to him. Listen to what Peter said. Peter, who who was on that boat when he first met Jesus and he caught all those fish. Here's what Peter said. He is the lamb without blemish or defect. He went on to say he committed no sin and no deceit was ever found in his mouth. That's what Peter said. John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, who wrote the book of Revelation, said, In him is no sin. Here were men who were with Jesus day and night for three years. They observed him, they heard him, they watched him, and at the end of it all, they said, There is nothing sinful in this man at all. Josh McDowell said this, He said in their close contact with him, they never saw in him the sins they saw in themselves. Because of their strict Jewish background, they would be hard set to say that Jesus was without sin unless he really was. You see, Jesus never had an evil thought. Jesus never spoke a coarse word. Jesus never did a wrong deed. Jesus never committed a single sin. So we see the temptation of Jesus. Jesus came through it unscathed. We see the victory of Jesus. Not only did Jesus overcome temptation in the wilderness, Jesus lived his entire life, never once, giving in to temptation. But that takes us to the third thing that we need to see, and that is our victory through the Son. You see, the Bible teaches that Jesus identifies with us in our temptation... So that He can deliver us from temptation. And He can deliver us from the consequences of temptation. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made Him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus became sin for us. God laid on Jesus all of our iniquity, all of our sin. He bore our punishment on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. All of my sin, all of your sin, all of mankind's sins were placed upon Jesus. And Jesus bore the punishment of that. You see, Jesus' victory leads to our victory for all eternity. Because of what Jesus was able to do, defeat sin, you and I can have victory over death and hell. Because Jesus defeated sin. He came through it unscathed. He was able to bear our punishment on the cross. If he was sinful, then he would have paid for his sins. But because he was sinless, he was able to pay for my sins. And he was able to pay for your sins. But Jesus' victory also has implications for the here and now. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 1013. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That is written to the church, to the body of Christ, to Christ's followers and and the word of God says that there is no temptation that you're going to face that God's not going to give you the power to overcome. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 it says because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who were being tempted. Because he suffered when he was tempted, he is now able to help those who are those you And I, he is able to help us when we are going through temptation. Now, how is he able to do that? Well, he's able to do that because of what it promises in 1 John 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, because Christ is in us, we now have a new power and we now have new possibilities We don't have to give in to temptation anymore. We don't have to live in defeat anymore. We don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Jesus Christ can set us free. You can know the truth. And you know what the truth will do? The truth will set you free. Amen? Amen. We don't have to give in. You see, Jesus' victory leads to our victory today. We need to understand that Jesus' victory not only leads to our victory for all eternity, but Jesus' victory is the reason we can have victory today. F.B. Meyer said this. He said there's only one way by which the tempter can be met. He laughs at our good resolutions and ridicules the pledges with which we fortify ourselves. Satan only fears one. He who in the hour of greatest weakness defeated him and who has now been raised far above all principalities and powers to deliver the frail and tempted souls. How can we have victory? We can have victory because greater is he that is in us than the one who is out there in the world. And so what are some principles? Well, we could spend an entire other message on this, but I want to give you some principles because you need to understand Jesus didn't defeat Satan as God. Jesus defeated Satan as man. That's important. I mean, he could have defeated Satan as God with just a simple word. Satan is gone. He's destroyed. He's defeated. He no longer exists. He didn't fight Satan that way. He faults Satan using the same resources that you and I have available for us today. Now, understand, the bottom line, the foundation is this. If you're not a child of God, you're never going to overcome temptation. You've got to have God's Spirit living in you. The resurrected Christ has to be in you if you're going to overcome temptation. But once you become a believer, are there some things that you need? Yes, yes. Let me give it to you. First of all, you need to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. That's what it says about Jesus, right? When He was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It means that He was completely submissive. He was totally obedient to His Father's will. You will never have victory until you resolve through the power of God's Holy Spirit living in you, you are going to live in obedience. You are going to submit yourself to Christ. Understand, it's not a matter of willpower that gives us victory. It's a matter of surrender. It's a matter of submission that gives us victory. When we surrender to His power, when we submit to His power, then His power is able to flow through us and defeat Satan's power that is coming against us. So we're spirit field where spirit led but then second there's intimacy with the father we discover that jesus was fasting fasting scripturally is always tied to praying why was jesus fasting he was fasting to commune with god you see the bible speaks about prayer and fasting communing with god fasting is just simply giving up physical food physical needs the physical desires so that we can focus all of our attention solely and completely and entirely on our relationship with the Father. And so if we want to overcome the enemy, we've got to have intimacy with the Father. We've got to have a strong prayer life. And let me tell you, there are some temptations in your life that you're only going to have victory when you move beyond simply praying and you begin fasting. Third thing that I see, is he was relying on God's word. Each time that Satan attacked, Jesus answered with scripture. Now understand, this isn't some magical incantation. There are some people that have this idea that if I just memorize enough scripture, then when I'm tempted, I can quote that scripture and I can have victory. Well, can I tell you, you can quote that scripture left and right up and down, backwards and forwards, and unless that scripture is not just coming out of your mouth, it has come into you and it is fleshed out in you, you're never going to have victory. It's not a matter of you and I memorizing the scripture that gives us victory. It's the matter of fleshing out what the scripture teaches that gives us victory. You see, the scripture was a part of Jesus' life. And so on every single front, when the temptation came, Jesus not only knew what the Father's perfect will was, He was in tune with the Father's perfect will because the Word was not only coming out of Him, the Word was in Him. The Word was a part of Him. He was feeding on the Word of God. Now hear me. I'm convinced. I really am. If you're a child of God and you're filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, you're submissive to the Father, you're intimate with the Father, you're praying and you're fasting, and you're spending time in the Word and letting the Word of God get into you, then whatever temptation you face, you need to understand that other people have faced before, and God's faithful. In that in every temptation, he has already provided you with the power you need to come out victorious. So what about it? Where are you? Now, now here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus forgives those who yield to temptation. That's why he died. And Jesus helps those who desire power over temptation. That's the example he gave. Now, now each and every one of us here, we're in one of those two boats, aren't we? We're either here this morning and we need to be forgiven because we've given in to temptation. Or we need his power so that we can overcome temptation. Every one of us. So where are you at? Maybe you're here and, and you've never trusted what Jesus did on the cross because of his sinless life to forgive you. Now, I'm here to tell you, if that's you and you've tried to do it on your own and, and you know, you know, you know that your best efforts aren't good enough, you try and fail and try and fail and try and fail and, and you just keep picking yourself up and trying harder and keeping your, picking yourself up and trying harder, it doesn't work. And, and you're... You feel defeated. The reason is you're going to be defeated until you give your life to Jesus. Maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you can go back to that time where Jesus became real to you and he changed your life. But wow, you you just... There's a sin or multiple sins that just... They seem to have your number. Jesus gives us a plan for victory. But we've got to follow it. I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I want to ask you two questions, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to move on with worship. If you're here today and you've never trusted the sinless Son of God to save you from your sins, to forgive you, for all your sins. And today you want to do that. You've never trusted him. But today you want to do that. Would you raise your hand right now. So that I can pray for you. Anyone here who needs to trust Jesus. Raise your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. Second question. If you're here this morning. And you're like most of us here. And you haven't gotten this victory over temptation thing quite nailed down and and you need His power in your life more evident than before. Would you just raise your hand right now? That's where you're at. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, for those who need to trust You, we ask, Lord, that today they will give it all to You. For those like myself who need Your power To have victory over temptation. I pray, Father, that we will put into practice the principles that you give us in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.